Welcome everyone to the Immigrant's Journey podcast. This is a space where we learn, grow, and explore immigrant experiences in Ireland and abroad. I am your host, Carmenetta, and today we are so happy to have with us Raphael Harry, who was born in the city of Jos, spent a large portion of his life in different cities in Nigeria before moving to the United States in 2007 with his mom and brother. He has served honorably in the United States Navy and today is the creator and host of White Label American Podcast. Raphael, you are very welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Carmen. It's my pleasure. So as always, I like to get into it and get a little bit about your background. If you wouldn't mind telling me about life in Nigeria and why your family chose to move to America. All right. Um... Well, for me, uh, life was um, life was everywhere. Uh, I was born in the city of Jos. Uh, my mom had already been to the United States a couple of times. She was there in the seventies. My elder brother was born in um, Kansas or Kentucky. They both start with the letter K, so I always mix it up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he'll make fun of me when he listens to this episode because <laughs> I never get it right. So he he was already American before I became American decades later. Um, my elder sister, she was not even born in Nigeria. She was born in Ghana. Oh. Uh, she's the oldest amongst us. Um, so I was the only one born in Nigeria. And by the time I was uh, growing up, I was born in Jos, which um, based on the Nigerian system, you're not from where you were born. You're from where your family is from. So... I was not from Jaws, although I spoke one of the languages that was common um, from in the city of Jaws, and then I ended up down south where we are from, and then moved around because my mom worked for the federal government then, and federal government employees tend to move around the country, so um, that's how I began to move around, and on holidays, she was always on traveling somewhere, so I'm always traveling somewhere, so I guess that's how the beginning of traveling started for me. I was just trying to um, enjoy the holidays. Anytime she, my mom was on a on a trip, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm attached to her, like just jumping around. So, um, I guess, yeah, I guess I got to know um, a lot of the country, uh, got to meet a lot of people, but without really knowing a lot of the country and without really knowing a lot of the people because it was still based on the basic information that Nigeria had three big tribes and then mm. my tribe. And then the tribe of the city where I spend most of the time, uh, most of my time living in, which is Benin City, that I've kind of just thought Nigeria revolved around without realizing that there was like 300 ethnic groups that existed in the country. And I'm still learning about ethnic groups to this day that I never even knew about. And there are still many Nigerians who don't even know about ethnic groups, but the way the British just arranged the country is, yeah, you don't even, you find out stuff every day, but despite all the traveling that I did, I still don't know a lot of stuff. So That's yeah, amazing. That, the level yeah. of diversity that exists in a place. Yeah, but that's what you get when um, <laughs> some power comes and takes over and you're like, yeah, we're going to make you guys one people. They were all different nations. They were all different kingdoms. Mm. They all had their own thing going on. They had people who had democracy, actually. And you don't find out about that. You don't read about it in textbooks. And then you hear about the Greeks. Oh, the Greeks had democracy. The Greeks had democracy. Well, the Igbos had the same thing going on. All the men Mm. met up and took decisions. The women met up and took decisions. The oldest person decided, which... um, it's exactly the same thing that you heard about the Greeks doing back then. They all met up and took a decision. If the if there was a tie, the oldest person in the village um, was the umpire that broke this, uh, that decided which way the votes went. And um, the one the British took over, they had to like create kings for those guys to make it easier for them to rule those people. And to this day, that's one of the things that leads to fights in those regions because they didn't really have a king or some a monarchy in those areas, mm. but it made it easier for taking over people from those um, places. So 
Um, yeah, there, there's so much that we were not aware of. We just had the basic textbooks and we just, oh, yeah. That's a really it's, fascinating it's so bit of history. <laughs> like I had no idea. Yeah, so coming so coming from that background, what was like the most difficult obstacle you had to overcome when you moved to the United States, like in terms of adapting to the culture and country? Um, I, I think the culture, the first culture shock was realizing that um, a whole lot of the stuff we had seen on, you know, on the TV, the movies, left out a whole lot of reality, you know? <laughs> well, it is, um, it is make-believe, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know. So is the news in America, by the way. Yeah, you know, it's like there's so much, um, yeah, there's, life is better there's, to an extent, and there's, uh, there's freedom of speech, and there's, uh, but there's so much that is left out of the picture that you know like like okay I, I give an example like our textbooks kind of gave us this impression that oh Martin Luther King fought for freedom fought against racism and after he died after he was assassinated oh uh, uh, the, the war was the, the fight against racism was over you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. I was like oh okay wow you know, <laughs> it's yeah, so incomplete yeah, yeah and then you, you don't look into, you don't get a full picture of Jim Crow. You don't get a full picture yes. of uh, the redlining, the, 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 how they segregated the housing. And don't, you don't get info about that, which is why a lot of Nigerians tend to support the, 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 uh, um, the conservative America. They tend mm. to support that. They, they, they actively look at black, they look down black Americans, they look down mm. black American struggles because they feel like, well, well, why, why can't they make it themselves? Why, why, why are they, you know, they, they, they can't empathize with, they can't understand the struggle. Like, what, what's wrong with these people? Martin Luther King fought for everything and you guys should be good. But right. then you arrive and then you start noticing like, wait a minute. Um, we didn't get all this picture in our textbooks. We we're just told everything's fine. It stopped. Mm. But who who who's telling the stories? Who's bringing the story to us? We don't mm. question that part. You know, we don't think about it. We just look at oh, everything is fine. Malcolm X came. They, he died too. But hey, guess what? Racism was solved. How was it solved? That's exactly? amazing. You know, it's amazing then, that you guys have that message um, being mm-hmm. preached to you. Yeah, and we don't look at who's, who exactly is preaching the message. Who's bringing the message to us? Nobody questions that part of it. It's, yeah. it's like, oh, they, these are nice people bringing the message. What, what is their agenda? Who's the person bringing the message? <laughs> and then, like, my, one of my biggest shocks was uh, my first weekend in the United States, because um, my, my, my family lived in Virginia. Okay. And right outside D.C. So my older brother took me into D.C., my very first weekend when I arrived, and um, he, he wanted to make sure I experienced America properly, so he made sure we, we walked around, and I um, this um, gentleman walks up to me, and he's like, hey, brother, you got some change? And I'm just brand new from Nigeria, so I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have any change of me. I'm trying to explain myself. And my brother <laughs> already walked away, and he turns around, and he's like, what's wrong with you? Do you, do you know that person? Because my brother and my, my mom had been in the United States for like 10, uh, 10 15 years before I, I, I finally arrived. Yes, you know, took so they're a, took Americanized. A while for my, yeah, for, for my visa to, uh, to be approved. So uh, they, my mom had a green card forever. My brother was born here and then moved back to Nigeria. So um, it just was a matter of his passport being renewed. Mm. So he, he was like, what's wrong with you? Come on, do you know the guy? How many of them are you going to talk to? I was like, what do you mean how many of them? How many, who, who is he? He's a, that's a homeless dude. You know how many you're going to see in DC? And I was mm. like, uh, you mean there are a lot of homeless people in DC? It's, it's United States. Why are there homeless people in the United States? He's like, uh, welcome to America. You're gonna see. <laughs> uh, and next thing I'm like surprised that there's so many homeless people in DC. That's like yeah. the largest amount of homeless people I've seen in my life. That was a huge culture shock for me. I, I was like, wow. I've seen movies made in DC. The movies, um, well, not made in DC. Movies made about DC, all the action movies. They don't show you all the homeless people. 
And I'm trying to explain to people back home, like, wow, this is what I saw. Nobody believes me. They're like, oh, you're just saying this. So that you, you, you're making it sound bad. So I, I don't come to D.C. And you, you, make, you don't want me to come to America. I'm saying, no, that's not the plan. That's not the idea. I'm just trying to explain to you, like, this is what is happening. You know, this wow. goes on in America. People don't believe that outside. <laughs> people don't think that it, something like that is possible. Now, do you no. not have homelessness in Nigeria? Because, like, in Ireland, we have a massive problem in terms of getting housing for people. And there's loads of homeless here, even though it's a very small population in comparison to the United States. Do you not uh, have we, that problem in we, Nigeria? We, we do. We do have homelessness in Nigeria. But the way it worked is that, you know, um, for, like, when... I, like let's say between the, uh, my the years of twenty one and twenty four, I probably qualified to be homeless, but mm. I could go attach myself to friends. I could okay. attach with my with my cousins. They, they, I could stay rent free at their places. We could be like six seven boys staying in the same place. When when they got tired of you, they kick you out. As far as you were well behaved, you know you play by the rules. You know you you could sleep on the couch then. You know, you knew the times to disappear, you knew the times to be around, but it was, you know, there were people who slept under bridges, there were people who slept in the marketplaces, but the way I, that first time I arrived in DC, seeing that large amount of people on the streets, people in the parks, that was something that I was not prepared for. I, I, coming from Nigeria, coming from Lagos, Lagos is like the New York of Nigeria. Mm you don't see that amount of homeless people in one area at once. It, 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 it's, yeah, the, the, the homeless people exist in Nigeria. No, they don't exist. They exist everywhere. But it's a lot easier for them to attach to somebody until they're not wanted anymore or to make themselves look better. But it, we don't, because Nigeria does not have a social, uh, um, what's it called? A social welfare. system. Yeah, mm. welfare. Nigeria does not have that. So you don't have any, um, nobody's providing anything for you. The government does not provide for you. You know, it's, yeah. There, so you kind of have like to that. figure it out or tough luck that out, kind of way? Or family might come together. That's why you always attach with some cousins, some uncles, some aunts, some extended family member might host you. Some church member might take you in. You know, religion is huge. There's like, yes, yeah, yeah. it's, it's the biggest thing there. So... Let yeah. me ask you about this, because like one of the major problems with homelessness, at least here in Ireland, I would imagine it would be so different throughout the world, is mental health issues. These people don't have anyone to attach themselves to because they're not functioning mentally mm -hmm. properly. How is the system in Nigeria in terms of acknowledging mental health as a contributing factor to I, homelessness? Say, in my opinion, um, back then... Before I left, like, like now, knowing what I know now, a lot of people who were actually on the streets were those with mental health problems. Mm -hmm. So I can say for a fact that an uncle of mine who, uh, in Nigeria, everybody called it, we'll call them crazy people. But yeah. now nah, I know he wasn't crazy. He had... He had issues. He needed treatment. Mm. But instead of the treatment, they would say he's a crazy person. She's a crazy person. And they would, they would just dump the person. Mm. And you see them on the streets, in tattered clothes. They're always talking, chanting. But there were one or two in the neighborhood who, there was, because uh, a friend of mine, he was good at always having conversations with such people. And when he would tell you that, yeah, if you talk to the person, the person can have a conversation with you. And one day I tried it, and you find out that this person can actually carry a conversation with you if you just take the time to talk to them. And some yes. people bringing food to them, and that's how you know there's just something that is not right somewhere. And if they provide the right treatment, you can take care of the people. But it took years for me to come to that realization that the, the person just needed the right treatment. So my uncle was one of those. He was um, in the 80s. He was, um, my mom was um, the, 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 the person taking care of all her siblings. She's the oldest in the family and she raised a bunch of her siblings and she was taking, uh, putting him through university. He was supposed to be studying to be an accountant 
And the story goes that one day, one of her drivers was coming, was driving, and she he saw my uncle on the train waving at him. That was the last time they saw him for like 10 years. Wow. Where'd he go? Nobody, um, he, the story he told was that he went to Ghana, because um, my family also have Ghanaian blood. Mm-hmm. He went to Ghana, yeah, ended up in Togo, whatever. But somebody saw him one day in the 90s in a fishing village, said, oh, I know that's Emilia's brother. Just, they came and got him. Where have you been? We'll just, he said he's been walking around. He doesn't like sitting in cars. He hates driving. He, he hates vehicles. He just loved walking. He doesn't, he, and he's like one of the tallest people. My grandfather used to be the tallest in our region. And my mm-hmm. uncle is like so tall, skinny dude, won't sit down in a car. All right, well, do you want to eat? He, he'll be picky about food he wants to eat, but he's always has stories about people coming after him. He always, and you know, but I was, I was like my early teens then, and it was overwhelming hearing this stuff, but what did they do with him? They took him to the hospital. He made friends with the doctor, but he won't trust this person. He won't trust that, then he will escape. And one other family member, instead of taking him to another hospital, took him to a church where he told me that they chained him up. He was put in chains for Jesus three days. Christ. So how, how is he getting help there? So yeah. of course, he, he to show how smart he was, he played along with the church and started acting like he was going to, and he said they, 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 whipped, they whipped him too. They, they, they were flogging him. So he played along and after the third day, they took off the chains and were bringing food. They didn't, they, he wasn't giving food for the three days. And they brought food to him. And after that, he, he acted nice. And when he saw that they let their guard down, he escaped, of course. Of course. And after that, he said he doesn't want to see any church. He doesn't want to hear about any church. He doesn't want to hear about anything. But then I was deeply religious and still trying to talk him into church and all that. But And then he escaped again. Now I think he is, he's in Ghana. Last, last I heard of him was he ran away to Ghana again. And he, of course, lost trust for every family member, which is unfortunate. That is unfortunate. Uh, yeah. As foreign as that experience sounds, it's not that dissimilar to the way that I was raised. Like I was raised in a really Christian fundamentalist family who had like a literalist interpretation of the Bible. And you see that all over America where yes. people have a very strict interpretation of what the Bible has to say. And they do things like exorcism and just wild, like in my church, they didn't do exorcisms or anything like that, but they just have a very rigid way that they interpret and view God or divinity. And it's like, it, it's everywhere. It's really, really interesting. This phenomenon of fundamentalism, it's just interesting to see how it manifests itself in different cultures. Let me ask you, though, what shifts in your thinking have enabled you to push through resistance and these things that you saw, the homelessness, the incomplete versions of history, and just helped you to just push through it and succeed in America and do well there? Um, I, I, I think meeting people who were able to break out of their own chains Mm. and free themselves and not limit themselves to being held back. I said that was the that was the first step. Uh, if you had met me probably maybe 15 years ago, I was as evangelical as they come. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, yeah, I was doing the same hypocritical stuff where I'm evangelical in the daytime, but uh, Nighttime, I'm watching porn. I'm still trying to jump at girls. I'm doing all the same. I'm judging women all back and forth. But I'm still shouting, yeah, yeah, you must follow the Bible all the same way. But I was doing the same damn things that I'm... Um, it's, it's the same, the same... Everything was the same, you know? And you know, I got to one stage where I was getting tired. You know, but with time, you know, I've been seeing signs of stuff like... Even from... My teenage days, well, first time I met a gay person in Nigeria, I officially, I didn't realize that there was a gay person in my family, first of all, but there was a reason why the, um, in the family devotions, they had been bringing up the story, um, the person who I, I consider the most evangelical in my family had been preaching about being gay, seen. I didn't understand what that was. 
and then a gentleman comes to the house and is looking for someone and he sounds a lot feminine than I'm used to seeing in, in men mm-hmm. and he's walking away and another cousin of mine she runs into him and she just starts trading insults with him and I didn't understand I ask her why is, are you angry with this dude and she's like when, I'll, when is he, if he's a real man I won't be angry with him okay mm. what does that mean she won't say anything. And I tell the person he came to look for that, hey, this guy came to look for you, but my cousin, our other cousin was mad with him. Why? He just laughed. And it's like, don't worry. Nobody's telling me anything. Everybody's like being gay seen. And then later I find out that, oh, there might be a gay person in the family. So are we supposed to hate this person now? Because gay people are bad. And then, oh, well, Jesus will forgive this person, but we should pray for the person. So we've been praying against gay people all this time and there's one in the family so the rules changed what well, how does a teenager process this information is different okay uh, smoking is bad everybody who smokes is a bad person then you see uh, one of the wealthiest members of the family a woman smoking oh well, that, that, is she supposed to be smoking shut up <laughs> okay all these things start building up with time and you like, wait, what, how much, why am I supposed to handle all these? There are different rules for the wealthy people, uh, there's for family members. And you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired. You know what? I want to have my own, I want to hold myself accountable. I want to be able to deal and process stuff. And be, but the, the, the headline is I should be able to hold myself accountable. I should be responsible and I should be able to move forward. And I can't be loading all this stuff where, oh, I only push, only, only, only those that we like will be, we apply the rules to those we don't like. And, you know, I was like, no, 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 no. So when I started meeting people who did not give a damn about all these hypocritical rules, all this process of, yeah, we're doing this one during the daytime, we'll do it the opposite during the nighttime. I was like, I like the way they're, they're living their lives. Their lives were free. I want to be like them. Mm. I want to follow your way and I don't have to pretend anymore. And that's when the change began and I felt free after that, you know? And going to the Middle East and seeing that all the stereotypes, all the misconceptions that I had, uh, that I brought over there and I met people who were supposed to be my enemies and they never treated me like an enemy. And I was like, you know, I'm fed up. I'm just fed up. You know, I, I, I just need to throw everything out the window and start afresh. So yeah. all that helped me just become the person that I am today and moving forward. Because it's still a journey for me. I haven't arrived at where I'm supposed to be. Of course. So, yeah, that, that, that all played a role into um, shaping me into who Let I am. Let me ask you this. Do you have like a daily habit or a practice that you feel contributes to your success in life? Um, it, it kind of ties into the previous um, answer. Um, I, I kind of credit the black guy who tips podcast okay. for, playing, for, for giving me um, part of this habit and um, also the cultural land podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, the Casual Land podcast he is a podcast about um, CRR soccer, and David Amoyal, who um, is the main the, produ- uh, the, the main uh, presenter, he likes to say, um, "Do not be a prisoner of the moment." Mm. And I, I try to live by that mantra because I, I used to be hot headed. I still okay. love headed. Sometimes I still lose my temper, but I'm, I, I try to get a hold of things. Like before in politics, oh, Trump said this. Ah, damn that guy. Damn that guy. But now I'm like, <laughs> okay, he, he hasn't changed from who he was in the 70s. So well, why, why am I going to explode now? Exactly. <laughs> why, What's, why what was the thinking right there? <laughs> so you've mellowed good. in your old age. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not good. it's not going to change anything right now, you know? Um, no. The black guy who tips, uh, he he's a... It's a husband and wife podcast that has given me new insight into a whole lot of things about how black people handle information and how they deal with a whole lot of uh, issues that has made me even take a step back to look at some biases that I've had 
in my mm. life and how I've processed stuff and changes that I've needed to make. So I think taking pausing, just taking a pause has become a habit of mine. Like, you know, sometimes some people might get mad at me, someone might be yelling, and it's just good to like, just pause and okay, I hear you, but I just pause. So waking up, I just have to pause sometimes. It's like I get a text, blah, blah, is happening. I just pause, because I always have messages coming in for, no matter what time of the day. Yes. Family in Nigeria, oh, this is happening. Okay. I, do I have to respond right away? Nah, I pause. No, you don't. I think I that's pause. one of the things that human beings really love about text messaging is mm-hmm. that ability to pause. Okay, somebody said something to me, somebody asked something of me. I don't need to respond right away. I'm not being put yeah. on the spot. So it facilitates that, and it's a great habit to have. Just mm-hmm. pause before you respond. Yeah. Uh, my, my uh, sorry to cut you there. My, no, um, I think when I was twelve or thirteen, my English teacher, whose name was Mister Monsoon. Yeah, mm-hmm. some Nigerians have they have those names. <laughs> it's Mr. a Monsoon. cool name. <laughs> um, I don't know his first name, but it's last because we, we never knew their first names. Mr. Monsoon, he, it's a oh, very powerful his, favorite, sounding name. His, his favorite saying was, engage your brain before opening your mouth, which mm. he always used to insult us anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and it has become one of my favorite, you know, smackdown lines. <laughs> yes. But in a way, it's become something that I also use, like, you know, you pause, but sometimes it's good to just engage your brain, you know? Yeah, is, is it worth it? Um, Ezra Klein also has this uh, saying that he uses for his podcast too, that um, um, someone says something to him and he always replies, he replies sometimes, is that so? Ah, is that so? Is that so? He says when he says that, is that so? It, it just neutralizes the person. Like the person is like, ah, you, you support liberals all the time. Blah, 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 blah. Is that so? Okay, <laughs> that's it. They don't have anything. No, there's, there's nothing else. What, they, what are they going to say? Is that so? Just, yeah, exactly. throw that. Okay, and walk away. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great move. My yeah. friend has another great move. Whenever people start gossiping, his just, and then they ask him for his input, his answer is always, I don't know. I wasn't there. Yep. And that's it. It I shuts don't. everybody up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> it's a great uh. line. What do you think has been your greatest achievement since moving to America? Ooh, that's a, that's a big one. That's a big one. Um, and there, there are lots of things that I consider um, achievements. Mm. Um, I, I don't usually do a ranking because um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm at the stage now where, you know, at one time in my life, I considered a whole lot of um, things achievements. And coming from a Nigerian background where we like to... Um, we 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 Nigerians tend to be um, materialistic because mm. yeah we, we, we I remember my for my uh, a classmate of mine I think we went to primary school and junior secondary school together um, the last time I remember I was speaking I can't remember what started the argument on Facebook but he didn't he did he 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 knew he was losing the argument so the only thing he, he could hit me with was I don't even know why I'm talking to you. Um, would you, what car do you drive? I drive a Pathfinder or whatever SUV was driving. I buy bottles of champagne in the club every every weekend. You know, I can afford. I have bought a house in California or wherever he lives. You, I know you don't have any house. I know you don't have this. I know you drive one cheap car. So who are you to even talk to me? And I said, you're right. But I know I'm. I, I know I made the right point on this argument. So you have nothing else to say. <laughs> That's why you have to go there. <laughs> I was living in the barracks anyway. Then in the in the navy, <laughs> and then he deleted me from Facebook. <laughs> ah, that happens. So, that definitely happens. But um, so I, I I I remember. I always remember that because um, 
I think about, yeah, if I buy a house now, am I going to be at that stage where I can be like, oh, now nah, I bought a house so I can tell people, I bought a house. Who are you to talk to me now? Or I bought a <laughs> car. I don't, I've sold my car. I don't even need a car. I live in New York. I have public transportation that's good here. So why do I even yeah. need a car? Um, yeah, so there's stuff that I could own that would probably make me um, be in that category. Of t- if tomorrow I have $1 million in my account, I don't want to be in that category where I can rub stuff in people's faces anyway. Yeah. But I think the only thing I can look at right now as the greatest achievement in my life is that I met the woman I call my partner. Oh, that's because um, I probably I had this thing that I was never willing to admit to myself as, um, as an issue. I considered it um, something good that... I could stay somewhere, but I only stayed for like three years and then I would run away. But I was running away. And why was I running away? You know, I just felt like I had to run. And mm. I was going, going to be overseas. Anyway, I already had my plans. I was going to move to the Middle East after I graduated from college. Yes. And because uh, I went to college after my time in the military. So I was an older student. But I m- said if I meet someone and I fall in love, I probably wouldn't run away. But it was just something I said to myself, like, that was my get my excuse for not running away. But <laughs> I met the right person and I did not want to have kids. I didn't know, I was like, I'm not settling down now. I was going to be a player. I was going to be, <laughs> yeah, I was going to go around the world, meet women from everywhere, do whatever. You know, I was honest about it. I was going to tell I'll tell you, I'm not settling down. I'm not going, yeah, yeah. I don't have time for that. That's the important but, thing. So but I met somebody that, uh, she, she, she changed my life for good and yeah i now have a daughter who's uh and she's 13 months oh little baby yeah and i never thought i would have a kid um i just thought that this world is not the type of world i want to bring someone into Mm -hmm. a lot of people say that until they meet the right person (laughs) yeah and i met the right person so that's great. Um, to me, that's the greatest achievement that I have, that I met the right person, because I know too many people who are like, oh, life sucks, there's no good person out there, there's no good men, there's no good women, there's no good... This. And I'm like, uh, you know, no matter how life, how tough life gets or how frustrating it is, and my daughter smiles at me, it's just like, you know, I'm all right. I know it's going to get better. I know whatever um, struggles exist, I'm not worried because I, I know I know the plan I'm working on. It's it, it's 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 something that I just look at both it's of good them. For your and life, I know isn't that it? I have the right team behind me or beside me pushing me. So yeah, in fact, they're leading the way. I'm not. They're not even pushing me. They're they're leading the way, and I'm following because. Those two, they're, yeah, they're, they're the best people in my life. So that's great. Yeah, so they, they take that, that um, they take the achievement award for me. I wanted to ask you about your experience in the military. Was that something that you found interesting, enjoyable, terrifying? What was it like? Well, it, um, the military gave me a family that I'll always have. Um, there's a lot of good and there was a lot of bad and there was a lot of ugly. Mm, I did not serve more than four years. um, But there's nobody who goes into the military that comes out the same. And my mind frame going into the military was not... uh, um, well, I would say the person I was going into the military was not as mature as he is right now. Mm. But I don't regret serving in the, in the Navy because it was um, the fastest way for me to integrate into the United ah. States. Yes, that was the fastest way. I, I'll give you some examples. So um, in boot camp, you know, we are 80... 80 dudes sleeping in the same compartment. And these are, we're all dudes from all over the country. Yeah. And you, you have some dudes who have never seen a black person before. Not to talk about a black person born in um, Nigeria. And 
now you have some who are handling it in a good way, like, oh, they're curious. Like, hey, I've never met a black person before. I'd like to know where you were born. And I'm like, what are you saying? Because I can't understand your accent. It's like <laughs> as country as it comes. And then you have some of the other kids who are like, hey, man, you from Africa? You chase lions around? I want to catch a lion. I want to fight a lion with my hands. You, you, you be fighting a lion with your hands all the time? And I'm like, what? And you meet the guy who was born in the Philippines and he's telling you stories about the Philippines and you're like, man, that sounds just like Nigeria. And you tell him stories about Nigeria, he's like, wow, that sounds like my village too. And then we're going back and forth. And then it, it, it was a melting pot right there. And the good, the bad, the ugly, you started seeing it right there. You saw the guys who were the one who was the racist. You saw the one, everything was right there. So. It, it, the begin, it was a good place to begin. Now, if mm. you were smart enough, you, you could start separating. You know, you knew, okay, these are the ones you want to be with. These are the ones you don't want to be with. Um, the kid was always, the ones who were always coming to me like, hey, you want to fight a lion? I was like, hey, if you want to fight a lion, buy your ticket. You, uh, you buy a ticket for me because I'm not spending my money. And I'll take you to where the lions are. You buy my beer. I'll sit down. I'll be drinking. Then you walk. I'll point out. This is where you go. Make a right, make a left. Then when you go down there, I'll call the embassy. They'll come pick up your body because you're an <laughs> idiot who's dead, you know? And, he, and he's like, man, you mean. Why are you going to say that to me? I can fight a lion. I'll kill a lion with my hands. And I was like, I don't wow. care if you kill a lion or not. And then later on, there was an African, there was a dude from Cameroon who, um, he had been in boot camp a little bit earlier than us, but he couldn't pass. So he gets sent down to our division and they go to him and he's like, oh yes, there's lions in my village. I will take you there. Oh yeah. I'm like, this is the dumbest African to send here. Why, why, why you gotta be here, man? They were like, yeah, we don't like that guy. Raf is wicked. He doesn't tell us stories about lions, but you're a good African. You be telling us stories. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. You're good come to me. They, 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 they ask me stories about lions. I'm like, oh, you want to tell me stories about polar bears? The polar bears run around in your backyard or something? <laughs> like, what the hell you mean? Oh, I was hitting them. I was, I was mean. And then um, I, I remember the first time they were like, go take a shower. And you have seven minutes. You take a shower, use the bathroom, brush your teeth and everything. And it was funny because like back home, nudity wasn't like something crazy. Like if you go to the villages and you go to, to the river, from, from, for the men, men and women don't shower at the same time. So yeah. like there's this allocated time for the boys to like go take a shower. So... Yeah, we I wasn't uh, insecure about showering around the dudes. So yeah. it's like, yeah, you just get naked and run into the shower. Then you see some dudes like, oh, they've never been naked around other dudes. So they're trying to <laughs> they like They were very hide. uncomfortable. Like, I'm like, dude, you go jump into the same shower with other dudes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny watching all that. It's <laughs> funny when you get into the, the fleet. Which is a different ball game when you get into the barracks and they're like, oh, um, you start learning the language, learning about how to interact with other people, which is a different world. And then, oh, now there's, oh, you can talk to women. Yes. And now it's like, oh, you from Africa? Oh, you must have a big dick. Like, what? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you just walk around with a big dick. I'm like, is this how you all talk to anybody from Africa? All the stereotypes, like, all the stereotypes come like, out. It's insane. Oh, and these are like women talking to me, not like just men. It's just with the women talking to me. I'm like, oh, I, I don't know how, how to react. So I'm like, uh, does it mean she likes me or she doesn't like me? Or what do I do? Do I just have <laughs> my number now? Or I don't have my number? Like, uh, we just got trained on sexual assault or harassment. So I don't know. Right. You know how do I respond? I'm, you know, I'm not gonna date anybody in the military. I'm just gonna go out. I mean, I still try to hit on some ladies, and it's like I got a straight up no. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna go try civilians on the outside. And then my <laughs> boy's like, oh, just go on this website. You get girls, get girls like girls. I'm like, oh, really? And then I was the dude who's. I'm not even gonna check on profiles. I'm not even reading profile. I'm just hitting up all the girls. Hitting up, hitting up, hitting up, hitting up. Yeah, and then you get a girl. Oh, I like you too. You, you, when you want to meet up, I'm like, oh, this is so easy. Friday, I'll pick you up Friday. It's so nice to see a dude who who's down to have uh, fun with the TS. I'm like, oh, that word TS. What, what's the what's the word TS? I don't know. It's just ringing a bell. Um, maybe I should read your profile now. 
I read the profile. Uh, at, the, at the bottom, in block letters, it says transsexual woman. Oh, yeah. That's my fault. Maybe I should have yeah, read, I should the, have profile. read the profile. Yeah. So I'll know go back and I apologize into. because I'm not, I'm not the type of guy who's going to be like, damn you, you bitch, you shouldn't have come in my... No, nah, I know I, I, made a, I made a mistake there and I apologize. Yeah. So she was like, you're so nice. I, I'm still down to have fun with you if you want to have fun. So I'm like, um, oh, no, nah, no, nah, I'm... I'm I don't know how to process that information yet. I was really, if, I, if it was now, I probably would have said, hey, we could have drinks, chat, it's different. But back then, I was still semi on the fence of, oh, I'll probably, I'll kill you. That kind of talk. Oh, wow. Not a, I mean, in person, I probably was the type who would have punched and ran away. Mm. But Where does that come from? Where does that aggressive feeling come uh, from? Because, like, you know you're not gay, but, well, so why would you care? Toxic. We're raising a toxic masculinity world. Mm. I mean, I don't even know how I was able to succeed in losing my virginity in the first place. It was the girl <laughs> who took it from me, I'm not gonna lie. Back in Nigeria. But I remember one time I was with a girl. I was, cause I was a very shy guy when it came to like, I could make people laugh. I could crack jokes and everything. But laying the, 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 the lines to talk to the girl and get the girl to come home with me was like a miracle. If I, I, I couldn't, I, I struggled with that. So I was able to get the girl to come with me. We're alone. My sister never left the house. I was staying with my elder sister then. And then she went on a trip, which was like a miracle. So I got the house to myself and I was like, yeah, let me try now. I tried, yeah, the girl wasn't, she wasn't bulging. And I was like, what I gotta do now? How do I, um, Okay, I remember this love, uh, this romantic novel. The guy stood by the door, and that, that was all the BS. That, that was where we got our sex education from, all the books, <laughs> all the novels. So you start pulling, and how old was I? I think I was 16, 17 then. So wow. the, you, you start pulling all that BS that you've been reading, pulling moves from there, and we literally struggled. Yeah. And the girl was like, I'm not coming to your house again. And she left. <laughs> Why would she come to the house again? And then I was telling my other boys, and you know what the boy told me? What's he that? said, uh, there's no girl that will come to my house and I'm not getting it. I will get it. He was a church member. Very, my sister loved him because he was, he was always dancing in church and all that. He said, I will get it. You come to my house, I am pulling your pants down and I'm getting it. Jesus. I, I said, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how, I can't, I can't do that. It's just how, if she says, as soon as she says no, it's difficult for me. He said, bro, I'm getting it. Even if she's on her period, I am getting it. I said, what? On her period? I can't, how, how do you even, how are you even interested in that? He said, bro, that's why there's condoms. I said, so you won't use a condom before? He said, uh, yeah. Forget like, the condom. Uh, He's just basically saying, I'll rape the girl yeah, because I need was, to get it. But talk like that was common in most of the male circles because- wow. It, that, it, a, girl, a girl like that runs to the police. What was the first thing the police would say? Why were you in his house? Yeah, Why yeah. did you go to his house? Why yeah. did you go to, what were you wearing? That's a common yeah. thing. In, up to this day, it's still common in the Nigerian circle. Like, why did you go to his house? So oh. even your parents will ask you the same thing. Why did you go and sit down in his house? There was nobody in the house. You still went there. You were looking for trouble. You were, you know, you're, bad, you're a bad girl because you went there and you know what you were looking for. Then you're not trying to tell him no. You, you're like, what were you doing there? And that's how most of us were raised. And then you now start having to uh, um, um, re rewire the brain to remove all that from your brain. So it, 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 it's something that a whole lot of us struggle with mm. because you, 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 there are some of us like, my, I think the only thing that saved me was that my household was full of women. Right. It was a, a women majority household. And it, it, I was always warned, if I catch you fighting a girl, or I catch you, because the first time I fought a girl and I lost, I got beat up again at home. Because, mm. they, they, oh, you, you fought a girl, I got beat up because I fought the girl, but I still got beat up again because I lost to the girl. Yeah. So I, I got beat up twice for that. But although I don't know what message, how the messaging worked with that, but yeah, but it, 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 it's something that, when even when I talk when some I talk to some Nigerian dudes down there like this me too me too. even on Nigerian Twitter when you see some of the dudes tweeting they're like this me too movement this me too movement and then when it starts 
talking about male abuse, males being raped in Nigeria, which is a, something that finally has been is coming out to light. There are lots of us who have been abused, and then it's yeah. like, oh, well, now nah, what about the, the Me Too movement covers that too, and yeah. they're like, oh yeah, uh, yeah, you know, we we we, we but we, we don't we don't we are struggling to address that, and it's the women who are defending us who are coming out for us too. Yes, because they understand, they can empathize in a way that you guys can't. Because it's always up to the guy to put on a brave face. Like if a guy gets harassed or if he gets assaulted, it's like, Mm -hmm. ah, you're a guy, just shake it off and move on with it. Yeah, shake it off. It's it's terrible. Yeah, we're not supposed to cry or we're not supposed to. I'm happy that there's a shift in society and that these things are slowly starting to change. It's a step in the right direction, anyway. Slowly, but. uh, Very slowly. Yeah, I know. I know they found um, an Islamic school about uh, I think last week in not in northern part of Nigeria, which is very conservative. And at the same time, there's still male prostitutes in northern part of Nigeria. By the way, yeah. you can find them if you know where to look. You find them, and in part of the the, the abuses at the Islamic school was um, sexual abuse of the students. Yeah. yeah. So it's something that yeah, is see- becoming. This is the thing with human sexuality. When you try to suppress it, when you try to hide it, when you don't want to talk about it, it turns abusive. It's the same story with the Catholic Church. You have these priests who are not allowed to marry. Now they're around children Mm -hmm. all the time. Yes, some of them did go into the priesthood because they were pedos or homosexual and they, they, they couldn't, you know hook up with a girl and be fine. But it's all the stuff of this thing of not having the conversation and letting people work stuff out and talk and be open. So what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first moved to America? Um, I think from a personal point of view, I wish that I knew that I had the right to say, no, yeah. or I practiced the right to say no. Is that in a work context or with family or what was the situation? Um, in 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 work context, I I think I figured it out a little bit earlier, uh, early because um, we didn't. I think the that's where the military helped me. Well, why I love the military because within two months of being in the navy. I was made a supervisor, and part of being successful in the Navy was that if I didn't know how to say no, yeah, I wouldn't have been considered a good sailor and had uh, plenty of respect from uh, plenty of uh, amongst my shipmates, and which is why I got an, I got awards and I had a good an honorable discharge. I had. Uh, a lot of my shipmates are still in contact with me. And yeah, that was for the first time in my life. That was when I began to see what it was like to be appreciated, to feel appreciated and to see that I, I was not used to being in a position where I could have authority. I was not used to being in a position where I could say no and still be treated with respect until the Navy gave me that, um, put me in that position. And then I saw that, you know, I, I should have been doing this to family. I should have been doing this in my personal life. Because when you're in the military, one bad thing is that you have access to loans, unlimited amount of loans, because you're a good loan candidate. You can get loans all the time. So people are always come in, hey, I need money for this. I need money for that. I need money for this. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And when you come from Nigerian society where it's like, oh, you must help your family. You must help everybody. It doesn't matter if you are drowning. It does not matter if you're, you, you're mentally down. It does not matter if you're depressed. It does not matter if you have responsibilities or priorities. You must help everybody. So... I was always, my account was in the red, but I was getting loans all the time. I was borrowing money, borrowing money, borrowing money. Nobody cared to ask, how are you surviving? How are you living? Where are you? They were, but are you going to school? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you, and 
And I, it got to one stage and I was like, you know what? I should, uh, you know, I should draw the line. Yeah. And the day I started doing that, I started getting called names. I was, oh, he's no longer going to church anymore. That's why he's behaving like this. He's doing that. And I was like, okay, if it has to be that way, fine. But I'm okay. I was at peace and I just started saying no. Absolutely. You have just, to draw those boundaries because yeah. if people are not looking out for you the way that they're expecting you to look out for them, there's a disbalance in the relationship and that's not correct. And that's going to be very mm -hmm. taxing on you on multiple levels. So that's amazing that you were able to find your voice and be comfortable saying, no, this, this is not okay. That's right. That's right. So... Yeah, so if I had to change anything, that, that would be the one thing I would most definitely change about when I started saying no. Yeah, it would be a lot earlier. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think a lot of people need to listen to that message. A lot of people are in the same situation yeah. as you were in. Um, Raphael, thank you so much for coming on the show. And please tell the audience where they can hear your podcast. And of course, I'll put links to it in the show notes as well. Are you on iTunes right. yet? Oh, yes. Uh, I'm on iTunes. I'm on Spotify. I'm on um, Google. I'm on uh, Stitcher. So I'm pr practically everywhere you can find podcasts. That's I'm not on SoundCloud yet, okay. but you I'm will everywhere. Be. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I'm, I'm, I've just been lazy. SoundCloud is a little bit different, but I've just been lazy about that. But I'll get on SoundCloud soon. Yeah, That's excellent. And I'm also on, uh, I have a Facebook page and um, also on um, Instagram. Perfect. So I'll, put links, I'll put links to those as well in the show notes for anyone who wants to look you up. So thank you so much for sharing your journey. And until the next journey. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.